This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the Nicene Creed. We're working through a series on the Nicene Creed, by the way just barely at the beginning, and we're taking different scriptures as kind of jumping off points. And this afternoon, I want to turn us to a book I don't think we've turned to before, at least not with me, and that is the first letter of John, toward the back of your Bibles, not too far before the book of Revelation. And we're going to read the first four verses, four very pregnant verses on the incarnation of Christ, and I believe those are on the screen behind me. First John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of God. And I can't feel that, that after all these decades of walking with Jesus, John, the last disciple, can barely contain himself as he shares yet again what it was like to encounter, to walk with, to live with Jesus. And what John is sharing with us down through the centuries now is not just an interesting and unusual personal experience he had with a very odd and strange person. John is bursting in our door with news for the world. And what's remarkable in these very simple and short words is that you feel this movement as John describes his encounter to something that is, that is ever more personal and intimate and tangible. John is writing this letter to proclaim to us the one who is from the beginning. Jesus Christ, the pre-existent Son of God, the begotten but uncreated one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were created. And we tried to grope and grapple with this last week, and I apologize if I broke all your brains. It was some very dense theology that we were chewing our way through. Because reflecting on the glorious divinity of Jesus will hurt our brains, because it is far beyond what we can possibly take into these very tiny minds of ours. The eternally begotten Son of God, the exact imprint of his Father's image. And John is saying, 
We heard him. We disciples, we followers, those of us who have been personally called to walk with Jesus through those three years of his ministry, we heard him speak. We sat there and we listened to his parables. His teachings were echoing in our ears. And we sat there at the front of the crowd as we heard things we never would have imagined. And in fact, couldn't even understand at the time. And now we realize this was the Son of God speaking to us. But this is actually a multi-sensory encounter because John and the other disciples didn't just hear Jesus. They saw him with their eyes. It wasn't some disembodied voice speaking from heaven or coming through their, their headphones, through their podcast. They saw Jesus with their own eyes. The light of the sun was reflecting off of him into their eyeballs, and they saw Jesus right in front of him, right in front of them. And they didn't just see Jesus as they were peering through the crowds. They looked at him. They spent time gazing at Jesus and contemplating him and sitting across from him and drinking him in, walking beside him, spending hours with Jesus, simply looking at him. And most thrilling of all, our hands actually reached out and touched him. We gripped onto him. We handled him. And I think John is not just talking about the ordinary physical contact of spending three years on the road with Jesus, cooking food over the fire and setting up camp for the night. After the resurrection, Jesus invites Thomas and all the other disciples, and he says to them, look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. I'm not a ghost. I'm not some apparition. I do, I, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see that I have and that you can actually reach out and touch and feel for yourself. And I imagine trembling hands from Thomas and the other disciples reaching out to touch their master who'd appeared among them. This is indeed the rabbi, not an apparition, not a ghost, Not a hologram, not something that's digitally been added to the scene. This is the real physical Jesus in flesh and blood, sitting right beside us on the beach, eating a little piece of fish. And everything changed after the resurrection. And John and the other other disciples looked back and realized we had no idea who this guy was that we were walking around with. Now that we realize that this resurrected Jesus is the son of the living God, everything beforehand takes on new significance. And you cannot imagine how mind-blowing this would have been for a first-century Jew. I mean, hearing is one thing. Israel had heard the voice of God in the desert as they were gathered below Mount Sinai, as it thundered and quaked, and Moses had gone up the mountain and hidden in the the cleft in the rock, he had seen God, or at least God's backside as he passed by. 
they knew that no one could look on God and gaze and contemplate God and live, let alone reach out their hands and touch God. But the only conclusion that John and Peter and James and the other disciples could reach after Jesus rose from the dead was that the word who was with God and who was God, this word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only son of the father. The life appeared as John put it, the life appeared. What a simple and beautiful way to describe the incarnation. Jesus himself is the life of God that has appeared among us. He's not a prophet like Moses or Muhammad pointing the way to life, pointing the way to God. Jesus himself is the life the creator, the sustainer, the source, the origin, the destiny of all vital existence. And this life has appeared in the world. John is describing what we call the incarnation. And we're going to read these few words from the Nicene Creed today as we reflect on the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus coming into the flesh. That should appear on the screen momentarily. Okay, let's keep on going. Flip through there. Again, we covered this last week. This right here. Oh, For us human beings and for our salvation, he, Jesus, came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. And something has changed in the creed here because we're not anymore talking about timeless truths and about God in eternity. Now we're talking about something that has actually happened within human history. God himself has collided with humanity. He's torn the door open and stepped himself onto the stage of history and actually become one of us. And we're no longer talking about abstract philosophical truths or academic concepts. We're talking about the meaning of human history and the meaning of all our lives. Dorothy Sayers is one of the very first women who graduated from Oxford and she was a committed Christian as well as a writer, a good friend of Charles Williams and C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. And she wrote, it is the dogma that is the drama. The dogma, the doctrines, these teachings, they are the drama. Not beautiful phrases, nor comforting sentiments, nor vague aspirations to loving kindness and uplift, nor the promise of something nice after death, but the terrifying assertion that the same God who made the world lived in the world and passed through the grave and gate of death. Show that to the heathen, she says, and they may not believe it, but at least they may realize that here is something that a man might be glad to believe. The dogma is the drama. There is a story that has happening 
not a, uh, a myth or an imaginary story, a real story that God is colliding with our own lives and entering into our worlds. And the creed says, this was for us human beings and our salvation. The Son of God became a human being for us. You and I are the purpose of the incarnation. It's not just an interesting side effect that humans get swept up in this. Jesus came for us. You know, if we move back in time to humanity's original creation, we see that God created human beings for communion with him, to walk with him in the cool of the garden, to see God face to face, to know him, not just as creator, but as friends. And human beings were always destined for full participation in the divine life. Full participation in the life of God. Not just held at a distance to serve God down here below while he was far off. God wanted to bring us in and to share his very life with us. So when Adam and Eve committed that first sin... And when they took the fruit, death could only be the result. Because evil is non-being. It is a negation. And when we sin, we are choosing to cut ourselves off from the only source of life who is God himself. And death is just the natural and inevitable consequence of refusing to live the life of God. And the most tragic thing about death is that it breaks relationships. It severs communion. My grandparents were married for 67, maybe 68 years, 1946 or 47 to 2014. They were in their 90s when my grandfather died. Um, and after the funeral, somehow it fell to me to take my 92-year-old grandmother back to her apartment, to a house filled with all these memories and knickknacks and clothes and smells. And her husband was no longer there. It was just an empty it was just an empty place. And it's not surprising that she passed away herself just two or three months later, because her life was communion and fellowship and closeness with her husband. And when that is severed, life no longer really has much meaning. And multiply that infinitely by our own relationship with God, our Creator. And when that is severed, human beings begin to rot and die from the inside. And ever since the fall, human beings have been living in the shadows, terrified of our mortality, alienated from God, unsure of what life even means. Thankfully, this situation did not sit well with God. God was not content to go, well, they sinned. It's their own fault. They're all going to die. Not my problem. Not my responsibility. They can all just slide into the grave. 
God says, wait a second, I created these human beings as the crown and the summit of all that I have made. They are good, they are beautiful, they are valuable, they are precious. And I'm not just going to hang back and let my creation, my masterpiece, be destroyed. I'm going to rescue, I'm going to redeem, I'm going to restore. Because I created humanity, and I love humanity, and I have a destiny for humanity that no one is going to sidetrack. And so a divine rescue mission is launched. You know, survival experts teach self-rescue, that if somehow you're trapped in the bush or in the wilderness, you've got gadgets, you've got tools, you know how to make a fire and survive and keep yourself warm, and somehow find a stream and find civilization and rescue yourself. You may have heard the story of that guy, what was his name? Aaron Ralston, the guy, the climber who fell and got pinned between two boulders. And after sitting there for six days, waiting for someone to come and pull his arm out, he had to take out his own jackknife and amputate his own arm and walk himself to civilization. A desperate story of self-rescue. But the human race is incapable of self-rescue. And despite all our amazing technological gadgets and our incredible scientific know-how, we cannot claw ourselves out of the prison of death. We can only break our fingernails against the walls and then sit and wait for some rescuer to come and break in from the outside. And this is exactly what God has done. For us and for our salvation, the creed tells us, Jesus came down from heaven. The life appeared. We didn't climb our way up to heaven. Salvation arrived from the outside into our world. And the Son, the second person of the Trinity, the full radiance of the Father, descends. He steps down and comes into our world. Here is the one, Philippians 2 says, who in very nature God, fully sharing the divinity of the Father, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant being made in human likeness. The Son of God goes down, down, down into our darkness. He was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, the creed tells us. When it says Jesus was incarnate, it means he took on flesh. He became meat and blood and bones. The invisible creator becomes a physical creature. And through the faithful obedience of the Virgin Mary, who says yes to God, whose womb becomes a holy ark containing the very presence of God, overshadowed by the wings of the Holy Spirit, salvation comes to the world. I want to show you this profound little painting by uh, a Catholic nun from Iowa. This is not, you know, an incredible piece of artwork like Michelangelo or something, but I love the symbolism that Sister Grace has wrought in this drawing. Here on the left, of course, we see 
Eve, her head bowed in shame, holding the fruit, the forbidden fruit that she's taken from the tree, the snake entangling her legs and comforting her, reaching out with her arm is the Virgin Mary. And she's taking Eve's hand and holding it to her pregnant belly. And inside that womb is the one who's going to save Eve and all of her sons and daughters. And through Mary's yes to God comes the salvation of the world. Mary, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God. Inside her is this little grape-sized fetus growing within her womb. And this tiny, helpless infant is no less than the one who holds the entire universe together by the word of his power. And this son of God becomes truly human, according to the creed. Truly, fully, completely human. Jesus is just as fully human as he is fully God. And Jesus shares our nature just as completely as he shares the nature of his father. Of course, I hope you recognize it's heresy to deny that Jesus is fully God, also heresy to deny that Jesus is fully human just as we are. You know, if Jesus was only partly human, then we would only be partly saved. Jesus came fully and completely taking on our full humanity. And so we confess, for example, that Jesus had a fully human body. He had to eat and drink. He had a throat that got dry and a nose that got runny and a stomach that rumbled. Right? Jesus needed sleep just as much as Peter and James and John. We saw him sleeping in the boat just last week. Jesus needed to excuse himself to slip into the bushes to relieve himself, just like the disciples did. Jesus had all the limitations and all the temptations that go with having a human body just like yours and mine. And we also confess that Jesus had a human mind, a fully human mind. It wasn't like Jesus was only human on the outside and divine in the inside, operating his flesh like some kind of machine, like a hermit crab takes on a shell. Jesus was fully human on the inside as well. And he had a human mind that remembered and reflected and considered and chose and willed and processed the way any human mind works. And as a human being, he had a mind that needed to learn things to grow, to be instructed, to grow in wisdom and stature, as the, as the Gospels tell us. Jesus had all the experiences and needs and temptations that go with having a human mind just like yours and mine. And it's also important to remember that Jesus had human emotions. Jesus had the full range of human emotions just like you and I do. He wasn't a cold and remote, stoic, feeling nothing. After all, Jesus was loved by everyone, by small children, by prostitutes, by sinners. People love to be with Jesus and invite him to their parties and spend time with him. Jesus knew how to laugh and celebrate. 
Jesus knew how to cry, to weep with those who wept. His heart was moved with compassion for those in distress all around him. Jesus also knew what it was to be angry as a human being. Remember when the Pharisees used the man with the withered hand as a trap to lead Jesus into denying the Sabbath? Jesus looked around around him with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And when he sees the money changers turning the holy temple of God into a flea market, Jesus flips the tables over and he drives them out with the whip. Jesus clearly had all the experiences, all the needs, and all the temptations that go with having real human emotions. Jesus was, and Jesus is, fully and completely human. 1,500 years ago, Gregory of Nazianzus expressed a very important principle. What Jesus has not assumed, he has not saved. What Jesus has not taken on is not actually saved. Because Adam didn't just half fall into sin. Adam's whole humanity fell into sin, and therefore Jesus had to take on our whole humanity. If Jesus did not have a human body, there's no hope for our human bodies. If Jesus did not have a human mind, there is no hope for our human minds. And if Jesus did not have human emotions, there is no hope for your human emotions. Jesus became one of us fully, unreservedly, with nothing at all, held back while remaining true and complete God. So if you're wondering, what does it mean to be truly, fully human? The Holy Spirit says, look at Jesus. He is the model, the archetype, the prototype of what it means to be human. And unlike us, Jesus did not sin, which makes him more human, not less. Because sin always diminishes and takes away what God wants us to be. Jesus was the first human being to live the way God designed human beings to live. And this life appeared so that we could live the way God designed us to live. Going back to 1 John, verse 2. Jesus is the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus is the eternal life. He doesn't just give eternal life. Jesus is the eternal life. He's the tree of life. His leaves are for the healing of the nations. Jesus himself is the medicine of immortality. That's why we want to introduce people to Jesus, not so they can take something from him and move on to something more important. We want people to come to Jesus and stay with Jesus and grow in Jesus because to know him is eternal life. And that is public news for all of humanity. 
That's why John didn't just write this down in his diary and then leave it in his bedside table. He experienced, and then he was compelled and commissioned with all the apostles to witness and to proclaim and to tell the world what God had done for humanity. And these disciples refused to stop talking. They would not shut up no matter how they were threatened, and they went to their deaths insisting that Jesus had become man for our salvation. And now today we're listening to this apostolic testimony of those who heard and saw and looked and touched Jesus. And our most important task is to share with the world that her savior and her king and her life has appeared. You know, you can see a progression in these verses from experience to proclamation to fellowship to joy. Experience, proclamation, fellowship, and joy. The goal of the incarnation, the reason Jesus became a human being, was to share with us his own fellowship with the Father. Jesus came to share his own relationship with the Father, with you and me. Not some lesser, scaled down, diminished, bronze status, basic version. Jesus came to open wide his own sonship with the Father and to bring you into the very heart of God. John is experiencing fellowship with the son and the father by the power of the Holy spirit. And his aim in writing this letter for us today is that we would share that fellowship communion participation, God's full sharing of himself. And this afternoon as always the arms of the father are open, open wide Because God is gregarious. He wants us at his table. He wants to share his hospitality with us. And through the incarnate son of God, through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of humanity is invited into the burning heart of God's love. Jesus came to pull us into the very life of God for us to become as much like God and as close to God as it is possible for human beings to be. This is why Jesus became man so that in one person, God and humanity would be united. If we wonder How is it possible for God and the human race to come along, to be close, to be one? We look at Jesus and we see in a single person, the human and the divine fuse together. And it's as though with his human hand, Jesus is holding on to us, fully sharing our humanity with us, fully one with us. And with his divine hand, I realize this is somewhat heretical, the way I'm expressing it, 
with his divine hand, as it were, Jesus is holding on to the Father. And so Jesus himself becomes the living link between God and humanity. And in Jesus, the incarnate Son, God and the human race are permanently fused together. There's no going back for God now. It's not as if God can decide, you know what, I'm a little tired of this whole God-human experiment. They're very wearing, they're very exhausting, they're very demanding. It's time to disentangle myself from these demanding human beings and go on my, my own way. No, God has now permanently fused himself with the human race. And now a divine human figure is sitting on the throne. You know what the ultimate goal of this fellowship is? Pure, sheer, unadulterated joy. We write this to make our joy complete. It's ambiguous. could easily be we write this to make your joy complete, as John says elsewhere in his letters. Our joy, your joy, one huge joy filling up our own joy as we experience the full blessings of the gospel being brought into the heart of God and then multiplying that as we share that joy with others and invite them to also experience the life of God. This is why Jesus came. Not to bless and cheer on our own efforts at self-rescue, Jesus comes down to our level, all the way down to our level. And not even the level of ideal, sinless, pre-fall humanity. He comes in the likeness of fallen flesh into our world with all our anxieties and our temptations and our stresses and our weakness. And Jesus comes to take us by the wrist, to deliver us from sin and Satan and death. And then to plunge humanity into the limitless love and life and light of the triune God. And today, John would tell us, all are welcome. Because Jesus was sent for us human beings and for our salvation. Your only qualification to participate in this is Am I a human being? If you are a human being, you are loved by God. He sent his son for you. And God is reaching out his hand today to pull you into the love and light and life at the burning heart of the triune God. Let's bow our heads and pray now that God would help us all to experience this more deeply and profoundly. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the priceless gift of your Son. And we're so grateful and amazed that you did not stand off at a distance and shout for us to somehow swim to the shore. You dove in. You became one of us, fully human, O oh Lord. And you identify completely with our race. And we thank you that you have come to save us as human beings, to save our full humanity, O oh Lord. 
we ask that you would lift up our eyes, that we too might hear and see and gaze upon and touch the risen, ascended Jesus. That we might hear the invitation of the Holy Spirit to participate in the life, the joy-filled life of the triune God. Oh, Lord, we want to experience the full blessings of the gospel, and we confess that our experience is so small, so limited compared to what is offered to us. Increase our faith, O oh Lord, to experience, to taste, to receive all that you offer us in your Son, in whose great name we pray. Amen. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.